0: Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. In our gospel this morning, Jesus assures the disciples that he will not leave them comfortless. But that even though he is leaving and he will appear uh, to them and to the world to be gone, he says, interestingly, I will come to you. What he is referring to, of course, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which would occur on the day of Pentecost, tomorrow, which we celebrate in full, and today, which we prepare for in this vigil, 50 days after his resurrection. The invisible, immaterial, eternal Spirit comes to rest upon the disciples in this Feast of Pentecost and fill them with His power and grace in a new way. It's not as if the Holy Spirit had not been active in the world and in creation from the very beginning and in their lives. But this, He comes in a new way, a way in which man had not yet experienced This new experience of the Spirit of God creates between man and God a depth of intimacy which had never been known before. A new intimacy. It goes beyond even, shockingly, the intimacy that Christ Jesus had as he walked on the earth with his disciples. It goes beyond it in the sense that it brings that same relationship that began with them and Jesus to greater fulfillment. With the gift and the outpouring man comes to be baptized in the Spirit born from above receiving a new nature he becomes a new creature he becomes as we understand a real human being. This isn't a static event by the way nothing with God is so static but living And the work of the Spirit and the life of the believer is dynamic and living. The Spirit is constantly and forever shaping and forming and teaching and leading the believer. The Spirit is making the believer new. The Spirit is causing the believer to be a sharer in that new man, Jesus Christ the Lord. In short, He is Christifying the believer the one eternal God, our God, and creator of all. We say that he is three distinct persons, undivided unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. This God who is eternal, uncreated, is immaterial. The great and awesome mystery which is our gospel is that the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word, the Logos, the uh, eternally begotten son of the Father, the second person joined himself to this material and finite creation. He made himself consubstantial with it. He went from being simple to composite. And this change that he affected and embraced within his own self, this is forever. This same eternal word who was uncreated and immaterial, has forever made himself a part of creation and material. That is a great and awesome mystery for us to contemplate. The other two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit, remain immaterial. It is only the Son who has forever joined himself to the creation by becoming man in the way that he has. We, by nature... That is to say, in the very essence of our being, we are created as composite creatures. We are composite in that we are both material and immaterial. But our composite nature is spiritual, unlike the animals. They're composite too, they have a soul. (coughs) But we have a body and soul, but our body and soul, our psychosomatic union, is a spiritual being. In the sense that we are capable of communicating with and receiving the very life of the uncreated God in a unique and intimate, hypostatic, personal way. When you separate the immaterial from the material, well, we call that death. It's not a good thing, it's a violation of what God created us to be as a psychosomatic union. Of course, we know and we are comforted by the knowledge that God in His grace and mercy sustains our being even in death. And so we do not lose hope at a funeral because we believe in the resurrection. We know that God sustains the soul even as the body returns to the dust of the ground. And in His mercy, He keeps the consciousness and the full person in their disembodied soul, until finally they are rejoined to a glorified body. When the word of God leapt down from above and into the virgin's womb, and became what we are, he joined himself to our humanity, and as he did this, he made that humanity divine in his person. He then, in that moment, and even in the mind of God, perhaps from all eternity, it's difficult to speak of such things, but he did become the prototype, which he already was, as I said, in the mind of God, before the actual event of his incarnation, he is the prototype of every human being. He is the one true human being this hypostatic union of divine and human in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be human. Adam was created in the image of the theandric man, this God-man who we know as Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is the end game. This is the telos of man. This is our salvation and perfection. This is for what we were made, for our flesh to be transformed and to be made partaker of the divine nature. This is accomplished in and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Christ comes to us as he promised in our gospel today, in and through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals and recreates us according to the new man who is Jesus Christ. And in all of this, because the persons of the Trinity are not divisible. The three are one. We cannot experience the ministry of the Spirit without also experiencing Christ and the Father. In all of this, we are led to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the Holy Spirit. It is through the event of us being Christified, through this Christification, that we come to God in the Spirit. This whole action of our lives, of our salvation and our growth in holiness is invisible to the world because Jesus is no longer present in an identifiable way as you and I are present in this world. But he says that even though the world, in our gospel today, even though the world does not see him, we will see him. We see him through eyes of love. Through eyes of faith. We perceive with the eye of the heart. That he is present with us. Not only in the sacraments. But because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is present with us in the sacrament. And he promised that the spirit. The spirit of truth would lead us into all truth. Because the spirit of truth manifests the God man of truth. Jesus Christ. Now the devil... One of his monikers, besides being a murderer, his next most famous moniker is that of a liar. That's the essence of the devil, is to lie, to deceive. And he seeks through, above all else, to lead us into darkness through deception. But God has given us the spirit of truth, who he promised would lead us into the truth, would protect us from the lies of the devil, if we would only love God and trust him we can be assured that we will live in the light if we walk in the light. If we walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit, we will remain in the light. But if we walk in the darkness, then we will remain in the darkness. The Spirit's activity, as I said, is dynamic and not static. It's not a singular event. And thus the Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit can withdraw from us if we create an unfriendly environment through sin and impurity and unbelief and disobedience. The environment of our soul and of our body which welcomes the grace of the spirit to be present and active in our life is created by love which is expressed through obedience. That too is what Jesus teaches us in our gospel lesson this morning. I had a conversation with someone recently about this idea of obedience, which I so often preach about because it so often pops up in the scriptures. From this conversation, I became a little concerned that maybe some still do not understand what obedience means. (laughs) I think sometimes we do a gloss over that word. We talk about love being expressed in obedience, and oftentimes I shy away from going into a lot of detail about what that obedience looks like, and there's a reason for it. I don't think I'll take the time this morning to go too deeply into it, but it's a little tricky to tell you exactly what obedience means detail by detail because there's a spirit of obedience that has to spring up in your heart And by laying out the details of that obedience, sometimes it can send someone into a bad spirit. It's up to you. It's up to you, not up to me. I mean, certainly I can give you some details. I do tell you. I tell you when you can eat, when you can have sex, where you're supposed to be on Sunday morning. It's very practical stuff. When I'm talking about obedience, that's the stuff I'm talking about. Not just some, you know, fuzzy thing that you feel inside. We're talking about real obedience in very concrete, tangible ways. The church tells us what to do and what not to do. I just have to be very careful not to sort of do that in the wrong way. It's up to you to bring your life to the church and to live in obedience by your own choice, by your own heart. And I'm always a little cautious about avoiding trying to manufacture that in your life. At any rate. Sometimes, you know, we don't really translate what obedience means into real concrete, tangible ways. You know, we all have a conscience. And when we're not living holy lives, our conscience is pained. And we feel remorse, hopefully, compunction, godly sorrow. Through that remorse and compunction, we may even feel just at that level, just in the sorrow. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I have done or my sin or whatever the case may be. We may feel a connection with God, our intimacy and our connection with God strengthened through the compunction, the godly sorrow. But this is where we frequently make an error. We then conclude that that sorrow for sin is obedience and true repentance it is not. It's just the first step. It's a very important step, but godly sorrow and compunction is not repentance. The desire for obedience to God, which is generally what we're feeling in that moment of sorrow, the desire to want to love God and trust Him and obey Him is not obedience, but we interpret it as such. It is a very important step on the way to true repentance and obedience. But we must not confuse sorrow for our sin... And a desire for obedience, we must not confuse these things with actual repentance and actual obedience. We may have that feeling of sorrow that we have not loved God as we ought. We may have a desire to love God, but if we are not obedient from a humble heart we're not talking about Pharisaism here, moralism or just checking off a box. That should be understood. But if we are not obedient from a humble heart, we are not loving God. I do not know how to be any more clear, and yet it's a very difficult concept for us to grasp. We continually think that the pang is the same as love. The feeling, the pang, is not love. Obedience is love. The pang is the beginning of love, but it must come to fruition for it to really be called love. I don't want to minimize the sorrow for sin or the desire for God in any way. I emphasize this much a lot of the time. They're critically important to setting us on the right trajectory, but they in and of themselves do not fulfill love for God. What really makes us an environment, our heart, our soul an environment, welcome to the Holy Spirit work in our lives is full born, full blown love. We're not talking about, as I said, obedience devoid of humility or desire. We're not talking about Pharisaism or just checking off the box. We're not talking about just a simple outward Compliance or obedience. We're talking about a spirit of obedience from the heart, a true humility and submission to God that is realized through very tangible and concrete ways in our life. The blessed eternal Holy Spirit, who is our hope and our joy, this Spirit of truth, he fills our lives if we make him welcome. He fills our lives with such peace and joy. He gives us such us such power. He brings such comfort to us in this corrupt and fallen and difficult world. He manifests with us and makes us intimate with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should, above all things, hope and desire and strive even to create an environment within ourselves which welcomes the Spirit's presence. That the grace of the Holy Spirit would be free to work in and through us, to be poured out within us, that we might truly be Christified. We will do this through our love for God and His church, and this self-same love will be realized in a true, humble, trusting, faithful obedience to the Word of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.